What's up, principals? And welcome to the Principal Crew Podcast. My name is Adam. Welcome. I'm a principal. I'm your host. And as you know, this is the podcast that is all about principals all of the time. Welcome back or welcome if this is your first episode. Some people have listened to every single episode on the podcast and some people pick and choose with the people that they know. And that is totally cool. I tell you, listen to them all. They're all short. We get in, we get out, tangible ideas. Today on the podcast is a new, it's a first thing. I got two guests <laughs> on the podcast. You can hear them giggling in the background. I think these two ladies are sisters from another mother. I got two principals from Missouri. I got Christy Lamb and Karen Heil on the podcast. Ladies, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thank you. <laughs> So two people, both from Missouri, before the episode, I was telling them I almost bought a condo in Missouri a couple years ago, because literally I was flying into Kansas City every couple weeks, and I love flying into that airport. I do not love flying out of that airport, because the terminal is about 25 feet wide. I, isn't there plans to build a new terminal, maybe? Yes, yes, there are. In the process. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and if you haven't been to Kansas City, actually it's one of my favorite cities. They have some great museums. They have the World War I Memorial. There's some really great restaurants and I eat vegan and vegetarian. They have my favorite vegan restaurant downtown. I'm sure you can get some good ribs in Kansas City, but they also have some good plant-based stuff too. And didn't, isn't there a football team around y'all that won, won something? They're okay. They're okay. They're okay. <laughs> they just dabble weekly. That's so funny. Well, ladies, uh, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Give us the give us the download on Karen and Christy and the Modern Principle, which is the <laughs> kind of the organization and the group that uh, that you all do. Karen, why don't you go first? Okay. Yeah. Well, we're both born and bred from Kansas City, so we love it here. We we pride ourselves on being a little bit of a foodie town here, so we're growing. Um, I am a seventh year principal elementary. I'm in a pre-K through fourth grade building that houses a couple of different special programs. And I have worked in three different districts within our fine city. Um, and this is my 17th year in education. Awesome. Christy, how about you? I am a fourth year principal in a pre-K through fifth grade building. And we house the district gifted program and also um, part of our virtual program now, which is the first year for that. Um, I've been in a few different districts as well in the Kansas City area. Um, and I actually started my um, education career through Teach for America in Houston. And so had just a little bit different path towards certification and my entry into teaching. Yeah, I saw that. I've only known a couple people that have done uh, TFA is it still going on? I mean, is it still going strong? And yeah, would you? My knowledge, I don't keep, I don't keep up with it very well, but to my knowledge, it's still going. Yeah. So, so how do you know each other? What's the origin story? Uh, sorority sisters, <laughs> roommates from college, second, second best friends. I love that we give grade. off the sorority vibe. Yes. <laughs> my also, wife, my wife was in a sorority, so I just kind of, I get, I give that. She was president of her sorority for three years. I'm yes. Alpha, alpha Phi strong. So. Yes, I, I'm not Sigma, but Christy was never a sorority girl. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> my college was too small. Otherwise we both know I would have. I actually, we tried to start a sorority at my small school. It's <laughs> so awesome. So how do you know each other originally? Yeah, we, our paths met in um, one of the districts we both worked in private, uh, previous to becoming head principals. And I, it was my first year as an uh, administrative I mean, intern. My first year as an instructional coach. 
and it was our head principal's first year as a head principal. So we were the three leadership team that had never done it before. <laughs> That's the best way to learn sometimes though, you know, that is the best way to learn. So, so with that being said, what would you recommend to people? I know, cause I was an elementary teacher. I taught third, fourth and fifth and I had my admin credential. And if you're in, a, in elementary, there's usually not a lot of admin opportunities. So, you know, if you're in a big district or a rural district, and I know where I was a, a teacher, we had 30 elementary schools and only four of them had elementary principals. I ended up getting one of those jobs, but until I got there, I was always hunting and pecking and looking and begging for just kind of any admin experience. Christy, what would you recommend teachers do if they are looking to move up and become an administrator? We talk about this a lot. Um, and I think it just starts with getting experience in your building. Principals have a lot of different things that they would be happy to delegate. And sometimes I think it's just as easy as having that conversation with your principal of saying, hey, I really wanna get into leadership. How, how can I do that? What opportunities do you see here? Um, what can I take off of your plate? Um, I, we obviously too, if your building has committees, you're going to want to get up, get on those committees and the different groups that you're building. Karen, do you have anything else? Yeah, we both, I think, looked hard at district opportunities too. Um, the more we could get FaceTime with central office, um, we thought the better. So we both looked for district curriculum writing, um, speaking opportunities within our district, um, different like workshops that we could host, things like that. Um, that kind of got our names out there. And then we both took the instructional coaching route. Our district had that position and um, I would not have done it any differently. That was very beneficial for me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with like the district office FaceTime. I think it's more important when you're looking for a principal job than an assistant principal job, because sometimes depending on where you are, aspiring leaders, the district office may not be in charge or involved in the assistant principal hiring just because mm -hmm. it's kind of a rung down. It depends on the size of your district, but I basically looked at my principal when I was a teacher and saw what he and she did not like doing the most. And I offered to do that. Like, Hey, I'll <laughs> run after school sports. And yes. Like, yes. Hey, I'll do this. Yes. And listen to me, people. It's not forever. And it may, it may suck but it's great experience. And if you fast forward five or 10 years, you're gonna look back on that experience, thanking yourself for doing that work. It's like being a dishwasher at a pizza place when you're 16. At the time it's dirty and hot and gross, but you're gonna appreciate that hard work when you're 40 because you got that hard work. So I wanna know what is your approach to being a principal? And I, I, I deliberately don't use the word balance. I'm not saying that balance is a bad word. I don't use that because like you, I'm, I'm a parent and I have a life and I have kids and I have a spouse and I have a podcast and demanding job. And, and like, how do you do it all? And I know y'all are busy. I follow you on social media. You go sledding with your kids and you... <laughs> I know Christy, I think, is like the sledding champion of Missouri. You love sledding, I've heard. I have um, a trophy, yeah. Yeah, got a trophy. But how, how, do you approach, how do you approach it all so that you are giving your family 100% or as much as you can and you're giving your kids and you're giving your building and, and all of that in between? Like, what do you what do? You do? Well, first off, we love that you don't subscribe to balance either because we don't either. So it's refreshing. We kind of view it as like seasons a little bit. And sometimes work is going to be heavier. Sometimes home life is going to be heavier. Sometimes 
I don't know. You just kind of have to approach where you're at. February is like the worst month to be a principal. Everything is due for this year. Everything is due for next year. And so I just know going into February that my work hours are going to look a little different. Mm. Um, and that's just kind of how we, we have to approach it a little bit. What do you think, Christy? I think one thing that transformed me and I feel like hopefully we're all transforming as leaders and we're getting better at it. And, um, changing our approaches based on our seasons of life. But, um, I felt like in the beginning, I really separated work and home and that made it very hard on me. Like I had a separate cell phone for work, a separate cell phone for home. And, um, I've always done my life that way. And then I realized I can't do that. Work is part of my life. The people there, I, you know, you start to care about them so much, like they are part of your own family on some level and your students. And so once I was able to take that boundary and mesh it all together, that's when I noticed a big change in my approach and being able to give more fully and more authentically to both places. Yeah. I love, I love that approach. It's, it's fluid. I think people that are listening, it, I look at it as the constant reprioritization of everything yes. in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, like to your point, Christy, it's not, there's not two lists. There's not two desks. It's, it's one. And on that desk is my own children, my second grader and my fourth grader and my health and my mental well-being, and that parent that I need to call back and that teacher that I need to check in with and that report that I need to, I need to submit yeah. by February. And it's, it's, it's that it's the middle part of the Venn diagram. And a lot of principles that I talk to have meshed everything together. And I think that is an important key component because it is constantly reprioritizing. Oh, you know what? Actually, right now, I tell my kids, you need to, I, need, I need 10 minutes to go in the office to go answer this email because it's so important. Or I look at the email and go, that's not as important. My kids and my wife are more important right now or my mom or whatever that may be. So being okay with not getting it all done right now or today is 100% acceptable because yeah. it will be there tomorrow. Karen, do you agree? I mean, what do you think? Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes with experience, knowing that like even an angry parent, you cannot have to respond in that moment and it's still going to be okay. Like you're still going to be able to fix that tomorrow and you don't need to let it ruin your night tonight um, dwelling over that and, and being anxious about that. So I think it's just experience and learning that the bottom doesn't fall out if you don't do it right then and there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's having a really good, like we both have really good partners that like my husband checks me frequently. He's also an admin. And so we have to work through that balance. Um, but he checks me a lot, like, uh, get off your phone, your child's doing something cute, you know, like, okay, great. Thank you. So I think it's just part of that too. Like the people you surround yourself with that are like, okay, we need your attention. <laughs> that kind of thing. Being present where you are. Like I have to work really hard. Like last night we, we do pizza and movie every Friday in my family. And I literally like threw my husband, my phone across the, the room, like, here you go, take it, take it from me. Otherwise I'm going to be on here <laughs> during the movie. And I want to be present with my kids and talking about the movie. Yeah. Karen, you said something that I want to circle back to about, you don't have to respond right away. And I a hundred percent agree. My caveat has always been, you can respond. And here's what you, here's what I say, dear so-and-so, thank you for your note. I will get back to you tomorrow or the day after. Because I think as a new leader, one of the worst things you can do is not respond even that you received it. Right. Because their, their email to you is the most important thing 
in their life because their child is the most important thing in their life. So you just responding that you got it and that you're going to follow up because you do have to follow up. Maybe you need to call your district office. Maybe you need to talk to the teacher or the counselor or the nurse or do right. an investigation with four students. That's going to take four hours and you can't do it tonight, but you're just saying, thank you. I'm going to get back to you. And that right there, I know that's done, done wonders for me to be able to go to sleep at night. And I don't know, cause I haven't interviewed these upset parents, but I think it does something for them too, because they at least know that you read it and you responded and that you, that, and that they are going to get back to you. So for sure. I mean, I do that too. And I always get a reply back from that parent. Like, thank you so much for responding tonight. I know you're super busy. Thank you. I look forward to talking to you. Like it just did put their mind at ease so they could also put a pin in it for the night too. Yeah, no, completely exactly right. So let's pivot to the interview process. I feel in my experience, until I became a principal that the interview process was completely failed and outdated and it didn't work. We had 10 or 15 questions on a piece of paper that had been photocopied three times since 1975. And we had to use those questions and we didn't get the answers and the responses that I think that I was looking for to hire the people that we needed for our building. And the caveat with all of that, everyone listening is make sure that you follow fair and hi fair hiring practices that are legal with your HR department. But you know, within that, if you ask a question, you can ask that same question to all your candidates and it's a fair and legal question. So you can't ask one question to Christy and then two hours later I have Karen come in and I ask her different questions. That's not fair uh, hiring practices. But I wanna know what, what is the question or what is your favorite interview question that you ask candidates that you feel maybe gets, gets the response that you're looking for. So you find the candidate and the teacher or the classified staff member that you are really looking for to really round out your team. Christy, is there a question that is your go-to that you just, that you love? Okay. I actually do not have a question that I go to because my favorite part of the interview that I think I get to know the candidates the most is based on what kind of questions they ask the interview team. I think that it shows their level of background knowledge. I think it shows how much they've researched. I think sometimes it can show what they are passionate about because I want someone who clicks with me um, and who will click with our team. And I want it to be a good relationship both ways rather than just one way. I should be a good fit for them as a leader too because I don't, not everyone wants to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I love it. Karen, do you have one that you go to? Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. My district gives us a lot of autonomy on the questions. And so I, I kind of have been doing mini action research. Like every time I interview, I'll like, write Like, Ooh, I liked that one. And so I keep them. Um, I actually have one that my student teacher got when she interviewed last year, she interviewed with another principal that I've stolen since um, because she came back to me and was like, I don't think I answered this right. And he asked her, um, what do you think is the cause of the achievement gap? And I the achievement gap and how do you plan to fix it in your classroom and she was just floored she wasn't prepared for that specific question because she didn't know what she just didn't wasn't sure how she should answer that and so that to me was like oh I like that I'm going to steal that question yeah I like that I read a book um, by the hiring manager for Google years ago and one of the questions that Google asks their employees is how many how many flights do you think um, take off and um, land at all the airports across the country in one given day. And 
there's no way that anybody can answer that question. But what it does is it it kind of shows people's thought process and how they're going to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to give my favorite question that I would always ask candidates. What's, what's the coolest adventure you've ever been on in your life? Where did you go and what happened? And there's no right or wrong answer, but the caveats are, and it depends on what you're trying to hire for. I agree. And I think that goes back to you, Christy, because if I need some, if I need a shot of adrenaline and some difference in my, in my team, and someone says, oh my gosh, in college, you know, my, my, my friend and I, we, we bought a one-way ticket to Thailand and we took buses and rickshaws and hiked and, and everything for a month across Thailand. And oh my God, these adventures, that shows me that that person can kind of jump in anywhere and do anything that's needed for the team. But if I need someone that's a little bit more maybe kind of middle of the road, that's, that's great and that's knowledgeable. And they say, oh, the coolest adventure is, one summer we drove down to Florida and we went to Disney World and we spent two weeks and it was a lot of fun. That's a cool adventure. They're just different types of adventure. I'm gonna assume potentially that that second person is gonna be tried and they're gonna be true. They're gonna be kind of a rock, but the first person might be a little bit more adventurous. So it really just depends on, on your team. So without, with all that being said, hiring and recruiting is so important. Christy, is there anything else that you would wanna add because hundreds of principals listen to this podcast that you would say, hey, think about this when you are hiring um, just based on your experience. I wish I could ask everyone what their Enneagram number is. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, How come? Uh, because I think for one, I, I'm obsessed with it. And I think that it's like the most accurate personality test that you can take. And we've actually been doing some stuff with our staff about it, but you know, if you've got a bunch of like, kind of like you said, if you have a team full of sevens, for example, who are enthusiastic and they just want experiences and adventure all the time. And it's, a, and then you hire another seven on there. Like you said, you might not have someone that grounds them, um, because your teams do have to be made up, um, intentionally, um, and so that would be my favorite. If I could ask any question, that's what it would be. Okay. Make so them all take a test. so I, I hundred percent love that. And I would say, since you can't maybe have them take a test <laughs> leaders, once you hire these people and you see, you see what their number is, move them around or <laughs> the principal, you are in charge yes. of what you're in charge of. If you hire them in a second grade team or a seventh grade team, and they're all sevens, then just move them to a different grade level. You have the power to do that. They may not like it, but you know what you need to do for your team. Karen, anything to add? No, I'm curious. Adam, do you have your Enneagram? Do you know what you are? So I've done it and I forget. Uh -huh. I think I'm a seven. You seem like a seven. <laughs> I don't know. My friend, um, my friend Ray Hewart, who I wrote my recent book with, Teachers Deserve It, is a big Enneagram and she had me do it. And it's just not on my scope. So I did it, but I forgot what I was. <laughs> so that tracks um, with a seven. <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you. So no, but in all seriousness, I, I really love scenario questions where I can kind of catch them on their feet. I also, I went to some workshop where I learned um, to just keep poking the interviewee and not in an aggressive way at all, but I like to do this with, with student behaviors because that to me tells a lot about um, their fundamental belief about kids and their right to be in the classroom and for like, who's going to bend? Is it going to be the kid or is it going to be you as the adult? And so I like to create a behavior scenario. And then when they give me the first answer and then I'll say, okay, 
So they do it again. And then what do you do? And so then they give me that answer and then I say, okay, so they do it again. What do you do? Um, just to kind of see like at the end of the day, is there a quick response, send my student out or continue to change the environment, change my approach, change my blah, connect with the student, that kind of thing. So I, that shows me a lot about who they are at their, at their heart in terms of what their skills are with working with kids. Yeah, I mean, and we used to do the last few years that I was in a building previously, we, we would do a demo lesson and we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it in front of students. We'd actually have them do it in front of the committee. And it showed so much. We're like, hey, do a demo lesson, plan a 30 minute lesson. And we would cut them off after like 10 minutes. But some people would, would explain their lesson and I said, no, 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 you were supposed to teach us the lesson. So then the people that come in and actually talk to us like we're kids and teach us the lesson, that showed me that they can get into the character and just talk to us as, as kids. So um, it was, uh, yeah, like to your point, Karen, those scenarios, I think, I think are super important. So, you know, with that being said, we've talked about experience and a lot of things just come with experience. And I know in my experience, reading books has been transformational and reading different types and tons of leadership leader, leadership books. And if you go to Amazon and type in leadership books, it's gonna give you like 3 million different titles. So I'm curious, is there a leadership book that either of you have read that really changed your life as a leader or a book that you always gift to other leaders or aspiring leaders that say, hey, read this as you're thinking about leadership. Christy, is there that go-to book for you? So Karen and I have the same one and she actually read it first and recommended it, but it's Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Mm. And um, we, we kind of think that we know that you, a lot of your um, principals on here talk about Brene Brown. And I think that's kind of the precursor to a Kim Scott, because I do think that you have to have the vulnerability piece before you can start having radically um, candid conversations. Um, but she just talks through how to essentially address um, hard conversations, but how to do it in um, a really compassionate way. And that's what our whole job is. It's with parents, we have to have those conversations. With kids, we have to have those conversations. And we know too that with staff, sometimes those are the hardest ones to have. Um, Karen, you are the one who presented this book to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have always been gifted like books on leadership about like how to have direct conversations. And they just always, they just didn't feel like they hit like the personality of, of like, you have these real relationships with your staff. You love them. You care about them. You, you have to see them every day. And some of those conversations felt very stiff or like someone, a young 30 year old woman couldn't necessarily have what some of these books were asking, the kind of conversations these books were asking me to have. So this was the first, first book I found that really addressed how to keep the humanity in, in the directness that you need to have with people. And it also talked about the traps that we fall in um, when we try to have real conversations. Um, like we can, my favorite one is being manipulatively insincere. That's one that I can fall into, um, complimenting something that's not really compliment worthy. And then using that as like your in before you give feedback and sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I love your shoes. Can we talk about that lesson? You know, like, um, and so that was really, it was just a, a great book. I, I loved reading. I thought it was really helpful. That makes me think of, uh, my wife that I'm married to was not the first <laughs> woman I dated. So there was other people in my life that 
you know, didn't work out. And it's like giving them a compliment, like before the breakup, like, you know, we have so much fun together, <laughs> but like, you know, just, just be, and I think that transcends so many areas of leadership. Just be honest. Right. Because I know, I know in my career, I'm bluntly honest slash respectful while doing it yes. because people, it's just better. I remember having a conversation with a teacher, a new teacher that I had hired. And I said, um, you know, you do this well and you do this well and you, and you do this well. And then this, I said, you know, in this part, like you need to improve, like you need to change your tone with the first graders. And she was a younger teacher that didn't have kids. And she started crying in the post conference. And I didn't feel bad. Uh, I didn't have emotion over it. I had emotion over the first graders that were getting that, you know, slightly harsh tone. And I didn't go, oh, it's okay. The, the next day she came to me and said, you know, Adam, thank you for being upfront. Thank you for being honest with me. And she changed the behavior. So, you know, people call them hard conversations. I actually think they're easy conversations. You know, when they get hard is when you have 15 parents that want to meet with you about that teacher's behavior and what they're doing or what they're not doing in their classroom. So I think a lot of it, principals that are listening, it's how we frame the conversation and how we approach it. So again, don't paint yourself into a corner. You're just delivering the message. It's not, I don't like you. I'm just giving you feedback because you are the principal and you are in charge of what you are in charge of. And principals don't forget that. Now, this next question is a little bit selfish to me because I want your input on it. How do you both have fun with your staff? <laughs> and we talked about that a little bit before. And it's not like a party and entertainment. Like a school is not a cruise ship, but where we are entertaining our staff. You know, I mean, that's how I, I don't think it is. But like, how do you, how do you have fun with your staff? Because that's actually something that I struggle with to not be business all the time i'm like okay adam i need to have fun i need to do something fun without making it fake obviously it's it's genuine but i'm interested christy like how do you approach this with your staff i feel like i want to make that quote and put it on our insta school is not a cruise not a cruise ship <laughs> yeah you will see that later and you'll be tagged in it <laughs> but no but you do you know what i'm saying though and yes no, absolutely i'm not throwing any shade to any principal everybody do what you feel is right but i feel People don't work on a cruise ship for 30 years, probably, because that's hard to sustain. Right. Entertainment is hard to sustain, even as parents. But when you engage your students or you engage your school community or you engage your own children, that is sustainable. Okay, so Christy, what are your thoughts on it? I, I can resonate with you because I, my staff, I think has heard me on more than one occasion say, I hate fun things. Um, because usually those fun things, like you said, if they're entertainment, they take so much preparation, they take schedule changes, or they take so much planning in advance that sometimes as a principal, it takes the fun out of it because I'm so worried about the logistical piece. Um, and so I, I mean, I try and I've, transformed over the years too. I did not, I am not the same principal that I was when I walked into my building four years ago. I hope my staff would say the same. Um, but I think it starts, um, with making sure that you have authentic relationships with all of your staff. And that takes time. You don't do that in the first two weeks of coming in. Um, and so I also have a team of people who help, 
uh, create those experiences. Um, and I try to have fun in the ways that I actually have fun. I do have fun dressing up. I have a dance background. So I have an entire um, dresser full of costumes. Um, and so I like to dress up and the kids think it's fun. Um, and we do, um, we try to do a lot of getting to know you things. I told you about the Enneagram. I'm sorry, I'm so obsessed with it, but we've all taken it. And so we do activities actually every single week um, in our lounge where we learn more about each other through the Enneagram. And hopefully, and it's not a big production. It's not some crazy huge workshop or anything. It's literally, um, we'll have a baby shower for a staff and we'll say, okay, what would a seven say um, to a new mom? Or what would a three say to a new mom? Um, and we try to build it in throughout the year as opposed to one big party, I guess. And I don't yeah. decorate a lot. I wish yeah. I did. Team building is different than having fun. While you are team building, I think principals, once they become a principal, they think it's different than being in the classroom. But mm -hmm. principals, listen, what you do is modeling for your teachers what maybe you want them to do. So have fun but also team build and also engage them because what you do at your staff meetings or your gatherings or whatever you do, your teachers might then do that in your classroom. So it's, it's, being, it's being deliberate in that. Karen, I think you have a little bit of a different viewpoint on this maybe. What are your thoughts on having fun with staff? I mean, I, I do feel the same as what you were saying, Adam. I don't dress up, Christy. I don't have the costumes. Actually, I refuse to have a real conversation with parents while wearing PJ pants. It's just one of my things, but um, my teachers always laugh at that. I think it's all about being authentic with your, and I, that word is so overused, but I just mean like, we're in a really hard year. It's 2020. It is 2021 is not any different. And so I feel like glossing over all of that real is not fair. So I think I, I try to address like the ironies of the things that we do. Um, and like, let them find humor in the fact that we're all in this together. And I, I try not to, that, that toxic positivity is accurate. Like I try not to force people into feeling a certain way at work. Um, I try to, obviously we are going to be kind to kids. We're going to be engaging with kids and positive with them, but like it, this, this is hard. It's hard work. And so I try to like bring in that irony of like, yeah, we're teaching in math and we're doing all of this and like let's have fun with like let's poke fun at some of that stuff like the the world that we're living in this is where we are let's move forward and and I try to just create opportunities like Christy said I try to bring in teachers that that might want that kind of fun I let them take that on um because that that's more their speed and then I just try to create opportunities for the real relationships to happen whether that's instead of a staff meeting, we just get together and talk. Instead of, um, we try to do that with students. Every Friday afternoon, we stop a half hour early, everything we're doing, and we have a virtual dance party. And because um, kids love that, and we let kids take over those things. And so we try to like build some of those things in with our staff. Um, we, and this might be like, Adam, this might actually be the cruise ship example. So usually for our um, holiday party to your like winter party, we usually have a gathering and it's usually like we go to a restaurant as a staff and we sit and drink wine and eat pasta and just have, have a good time. Well, obviously with COVID this year, we could not do that. And so we were like racking our brains with how can we get together, but socially distance. And my team came up, we were going to do, um, karaoke in our cafeteria and I was like oh my god like this is not my speed especially 
you can't have drinks on campus. <laughs> so, but we ended up doing it. And like Karen said, like making fun of the irony of how ridiculous this is that we are literally in our cafeteria and we um, are having Sprite and grenadine and, <laughs> um, and singing karaoke was, it was almost fun because I think we've all gotten to that place of vulnerability. If I did that my first year, nobody would have come. Yeah. And I think, you know, to summarize it, principles don't, relent to the social intimidation of social media and what you see other principals doing. Oh my gosh, they're doing this, but uh, I have to do something like that. But what you don't know, and I think Krista, you said it earlier, is they were up till two in the morning. Yes. Prepping and designing and spending money and this and that. And, you know, to get back to that first question is how do you approach being a principal? And if you have a family or not, like you have other things going on in your life. And is that sustainable to, to spend 25 hours and $500 for an activity that maybe your staff is going to have fun, but maybe not really get something from. There has to be that balance in it. And you have to, I think, weigh the return on the investment and yes. not, even, not even the money, but the time, because time is that one commodity that nobody can get more of. Karen, you want to say more, I can tell. Yeah, I just feel like where is your impact going to be? And like, I could definitely um, decorate my teacher's lounge every day um, and spend hours doing that. But I could also have real conversations with the teacher about what they're feeling, what they're thinking. And to me, when teachers talk about, like, by not saying we're not like cruise ship fun, that doesn't mean we don't care about staff morale and a positive climate. That to me, it's the opposite. Like a positive climate comes from a a boss who's willing to listen, a boss who's willing to coach you, work with you, um, address the problems with you. And to me, like you have fun as you start to build that connection with your teachers and start to be that support. They would love the lounge decorated, but they'd love for me to advocate for what they need at central office. And so that's where I want to spend some of my time. Um, and, and to me, that's what builds up climate. Yeah, I took over my first school as principal and they had, they had an awesome principal that was retiring. And when I was getting the tour of the school, we were in the cafeteria and there was these big cupboards and she opened it up and she says, okay, here are all the decorations for the staff room. And every month they were in bins, every month is a different theme and you need to do this and you need to do that. And I was like, okay, okay. So then she left and my new secretary office manager, she goes, are you going to decorate? And I said, heck no, that's not my thing. <laughs> Me so either. <laughs> so, but you know what though, in August and September, there was decorations in the staff room. I said, who's doing it? She had convinced one of the yard supervisors to decorate after she had gone and retired. So I told her, I said, stop. She's like, thank you. I hate doing it. So for the next two months, there was no decoration in the staff room. And do you know how many teachers asked about it and brought it up? Zero. Because it was, it didn't have the impact that that person thought it did. Thought it did. And mm -hmm. she would come on the weekend and spend money. And it was more for her. And if you have the time, good for you. But I would just say, Karen, to your point, spend that time designing curriculum, advocating, writing grants so you can get new playground equipment, yes. books for your library. Yes. Really, really think about that. Okay, so to shift, I think the resume is dead. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't even know why people say upload your resume. And I say that for a few different reasons, because I just don't feel that it tells the whole story of the candidate. I don't think it gives a good picture to districts when they're when candidates are interviewing. So with that being said, 
we still have to do a resume, but what recommendations would you give to aspiring principals or assistant principals that are looking for principal jobs to prepare themselves to find a leadership job or to do things? We talked about it a little bit earlier for people, you know, getting on district committees and doing things, but any other advice to really have a candidate stand out when they are looking to make that, that, that jump to get their own school as a principal? You go, Christy. We, we actually do a, a workshop on this um, and it's all about the resume and interview process. And it's usually aspiring leaders, whether they wanna go into a coaching or principalship. Um, but I think we both believe we still have to have resumes. Um, they're still required at this point in our um, interview process and our hiring journey. And so one of our biggest things that we tell um, people who follow us is to make sure that you kind of have evidence of your impact. And so making sure that your resume does have the data that shows that you're impacting um, kids numerically and quantitatively, because we know that that's, that's what districts look for right now. Um, so that's one of the things and, and to leave off some of those fluff pieces that we all know that you do. If you're a principal, an assistant principal and you're going to become a, you wanna become a principal, just putting disciplined students or oversee the discipline of students isn't something that's super helpful, but how did you make the school better through your discipline? How did you decrease discipline referrals? Um, and what were those actual numbers? I like that. Yeah, we, we also, you know, references are really important. Um, uh, that's the first place I look at a resume is like, who did you actually decide to make your reference? Um, and so if you're going for leadership, you need some central office people, you need every boss you've ever had um, that is in education. And at this point, you can leave off anyone else that really hasn't been in education. We don't need personal references. We just need those professional ones. Yeah, yeah. I remember my first uh, principal job that I got, I had been an assistant principal and the district where I was going, they required a minimum of three uh, letters of reference and I submitted 15 wow. and I remember afterwards the HR director who actually is retired now and I'm still friends with he goes you know 15 but it was they were all relevant people that you had done work with and it's okay to do that again don't yeah. don't 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 give a, a letter of recommendation from a parent that you were the babysitter when you were 15 yeah. that doesn't do any good but right. make sure that they're well-rounded Christy anything else to say about that for well, we potential even, candidates. Yeah, we even talk about, you know, a lot of student teachers will often put like their professors on there and um, the professor doesn't usually know you very well and hasn't been in that, in the classroom with you maybe a few times. And so we really want those people who you've been day in and day out who've seen your work and um, have worked with you on that level. Yeah, just so everybody knows, this is Principal Real Life. We're recording on a Saturday morning. There are dogs barking in the background. <laughs> Somebody brought Karen a cup of coffee. Maybe it's your <laughs> husband. Kudos, <laughs> kudos to the partners in your life. So um, that's just how we roll. So I feel like I need to text my husband to bring me one. So yeah, the modern principle. Um, you have many principles, but one of them that you talk about is social justice, mentorship, and community. And I want to give you both some time to talk about those three tenets. Um, what they mean to you as, as leaders, um, and then how you approach that when you interact with people that are interacting, engaging, or learning about the modern principle. 
Those are big, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Well, social justice is something that's really important to both of us. And I think we've both been on a journey with that. I was a sociology major in college. I didn't go to school to be an educator. And um, you'll be shocked at about 19 years old, I realized that there weren't a lot of sociologist job openings anywhere. Um, But what I did learn was kind of the state of our country and how inequitable it is and um, inequity in education. And I decided to be a teacher to change world. And so I feel like I've had this journey for like the past 15 years of probably starting in a very um, like white savior mentality to hopefully moving forward with social justice and true equity and opportunity for students. Um, And that is hard. Um, It's hard to do it um, in a way that you aren't trying to be a white savior and you're truly trying to provide, um, I don't know. I don't know the way to put it, but to truly provide equity. And that word is really vague and abstract. And you have to get a lot of people to get on that trip with you um, to make it happen. And it can't be done in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree with that. It's been a, it's definitely a journey and it's a lot of learning and listening um, and examining the systems that are in place. Um, I have had the real opportunity in my career to work. Um, I started in inner city, Kansas City, and then um, I worked in a suburb right outside of Kansas City, which was still kind of a part of the city. And now I'm working in a district that my actual building is extremely rural. Um, And so just to watch the um, racial differences um, and the poverty similarities um, that have been a part of all of those differences, those districts, um, and then to watch the systems that just kind of perpetuate kids that are at a disadvantage, whether it's um, because of poverty, because of race, because of um, just a home life situation, just to watch it continue to disenfranchise those groups. It's just been really, it feels like um, we need to continue looking at ways to disrupt the system and to continue to look at ways uh, that education can be the barrier. Um, It should be the barrier, um, the bridge to break down those barriers. it's just been really good. It's just been, I'm reading Zaretta Hammond's book right now. And that one is one I highly recommend, um, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. Um, that is a great book. I'm halfway through it right now. And So, yeah, I, I think, well, I know since the murder of George Floyd, it's been um, an awakening moment for a lot of people. And I was going to ask, what book have you read um, or what books are you reading? Because I've seen so many books out there that I've already read and books that I didn't know. Christy, is there a book that you would recommend um, people read in order to maybe change or evolve their, their, um, their mindset in, in uh, association with social justice? I have read White Fragility. That was one of the first ones. And I know that there's some criticism because it is a, a white author and now profiting off of this um, movement, so to speak. And so, however, it was one that really helped me. Um, I've read Between the World and Me. And I honestly feel like too, like, I'm sorry, I like actually pulled up my Instagram. I feel like social media can get a bad rap. And, but I feel like my eyes have been open to educators who are currently working in the field, working in classrooms um, and the ways that they are teaching their students or other principals and the ways that they are opening the eyes of their staff um, on the ground and, and in our schools. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read Savage Inequalities back when I was in an undergrad, and it still remains, sadly, very true. It was written, I don't know, in the 80s, and a lot of that still, the data still stands. And so that's a great book just to kind of show those different um, 
with funding and education and those disparities that exist there. Um, and Christy and I are getting our doctoral degrees right now, which is way too much work, but we've had the opportunity to listen to superintendents across Missouri, um, several of which are women. And um, we listened to one particular woman in St. Louis and that was really inspiring. And so just talking to um, leaders that are um, working in different districts to get their different perspectives has been really eye-opening as well. We've also, maybe been a little bit critical because a lot of the works that we read are all by white men. Um, all of the um, books and articles and different things that are brought forward as our curriculum essentially in our doctoral program, almost all of them have been um, published and authored by white men. And so we've been just thinking a lot about that, like who's telling the story and, and what does that mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, we're gonna have to have another conversation offline about doctoral because for some reason, for some reason, I've been thinking about it more recently about getting my doctorate, and I'm I'm going back and forth. So that'll okay. be a uh, that'll be a that'll be a conversation afterwards. But uh, Christy, if you could choose one job to do for one day, what would it be and why? And if you could choose a job to do for one year, what would it be and why? Oh my goodness, this is a good question. So I always. Um, I would say a Supreme, Supreme Court justice, if I could do a job for one day. Um, I don't know that I could hack it for an entire year, but I think that um, our Supreme Court has the unique opportunity to truly shape um, our country and to shape our laws and to provide the world that we are, we're looking, that Karen and I are looking to create within our schools. Um, Karen, do you want to answer your one day or do you want me to go? Oh yeah, I'll do my one day because it's a lot less deep. I just would love to be at, like a male carrier. I think it'd be great. You're outside. You get to listen to music. You get to see the community. I would love that job for a day. It always does that. I thought, I thought you were going to say dog trainer because oh. your dog is barking so much. Oh, I'm doing so good. Like I am a city girl, 100%. And we got a hound dog on accident over quarantine. And it was the worst decision. My husband and I have no idea what to do with this animal. Oh, so if you're listening and you're a dog trainer, Karen Hyle, reach out to her with some tips. Uh, Christy, how about the job for a, for a year? Um, I would like to be a professional organizer. I just like to organize spaces. So if the home edit listens to this podcast, please hire me. Shout out. How about you, Karen, for a year? Um, I think mine would go back to something in government. I would love, um, I'm forcing my husband to think about running for government now, but I would love to do that too. So anything in local politics, sounds exciting to me. Awesome. Awesome. I love yeah. it. Well, ladies, it's been so awesome talking to you both. And part of this podcast is amplifying and projecting the voices of the principles that I interview on the podcast. So I am going to hand off the microphone to you both to close out the podcast. What would you like to say to the thousands of people that listen to this podcast really from, from around the world? Christy, take it away. We just, if you are looking to get into education leadership, and it doesn't even have to be the principalship, we um, started the Modern Principal not just for principals, because we think that anyone can be a leader and anyone can shape the school community or the educational community that, that they're in. So we invite you to join us um, on Instagram at the Modern Principal. That's where we're the most active. Um, we have a really poorly done vlog that we only have done a few times, but I'm going to try to get it. I'm going to try to edit um, more quickly. Um, Karen, what about you? Yeah, I would say we, you know, please join us on this journey. We tried to, we started this back in the day a year ago, just to kind of show Two people years. what 
two years, what schools actually look like. People, the job of the principal is not sitting behind a desk and doing paperwork and we are out and we are inspiring and changing and um, anyone can do it. Um, and we try to, we try to be as real as possible about the ups and downs of this job and encourage everyone to think about education a little bit differently. So we love different perspectives that push our thinking too. Christy Lamb, Karen Heil, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all that you do. Everyone listening, thank you. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, write a review, share the podcast on social media with your friends. And as always, thank you for all that you do for all the schools across this country. And I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.